Hi, everybody. Welcome to the March 29th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Governor Jared Polis replacing Colorado's green triangle logo created under the Hickenlooper administration and unveiling a new state logo that incorporates both the letter C, mountains, and a tree. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Finally, the one thing Colorado needed to solve all of our problems, more branding. Uh, what do you think of the new logo? Well, it was stupid the last time we changed it, and this one does not improve the situation. We know we got it for free, and it looks like it. You literally cannot see the mountain for the tree in this. There is this tree there. There are more colors. Why don't we do what we should have done six years ago with Hickenlooper, which is just keep the flag, which is what everyone likes. At the time, they were concerned because they wouldn't be able to market it. Well, if they're going to make a mint marketing this new logo, we will all be very surprised. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I imagine that uh, John Caldera has come to you with a, a lot of questions about how to brand the Institute better with logos and other artwork. Uh, seeing that you're an expert in this area, what do you think of the new logo? Well, we, we've actually gone through that our, ourselves, you know, starting back in the Tancredo era of the early 90s of the II initials and various configurations of, of them. But... Independence Institute isn't as well-known as the state of Colorado, and really everybody knows that Colorado has great natural out, outdoor beauty, in, including on the plains and in the mountains. Um, I agree with Patty. We would have been better off to stick with the, uh, the pre-Hickenlooper logo of our state flag, but considering how horrible the a penultimate one was, which looked more like a warning sign of, you know, jagged glass ahead or something like that. Uh, the, the new one is, is better than what it replaces. It's a good point. The, the, I remember uh, skewering that one as more of a carbon monoxide warning yeah. kind of a, yeah. a logo. Uh, public policy consultant Ben Gelt joins us. Good to have you back, Ben. Um, I, I guess I wondered about the timing of this one. I, I get it if a new governor wants to have a new logo for a state, but in the midst of a pretty rapid session with major issues flying around the entire state capitol, uh, what do you think became, why this became a priority in March? I don't know that it was a priority. It was just a th- thing to do, maybe a little distraction. Uh, you know, I think the market speaks and nobody's building businesses around this new logo or the old logo. I've got the old logo here on my lapel and I think uh, that's what everybody wants. Brother Jeff, editor of Five Points News, uh, wrap it up for us. The unveiling of the new logo, including a new beanie that Governor Polis was showing <laughs> off. Uh, what do you think? Well, this is what you have when you have back-to-back governors with business backgrounds. We're going to have this marketing um, fight between the two or the change-up. And if you look at uh, what the new logo is trying to do, it's trying to accomplish all of the elements of Colorado in one symbol. And I'm just concerned when you see that uh, logo in black and white or grayscale, which is some print form, media, et cetera, it's going to lose all of the color that it's touted to um, actually highlight. That's a good point. Despite not, re- despite not receiving a yes vote from Senate President Leroy Garcia, the red flag bill passed the state Senate this week, now heading to the House with amendments. The contentious bill has inspired about half of Colorado counties and many sheriff's offices to pledge to refuse, refuse enforcement of the proposal if it becomes law. The Denver and Aurora Police Unions also opposed the bill this week. Uh, Patty, we've been talking about this bill for a while. Leroy Garcia gets the chance, Senate President Leroy Garcia gets the chance to vote no on this because Senate Democrats had enough even without his vote. Um, I guess if there's going to be a lot of furor about this, does he still escape it even though he was the gatekeeper of the state Senate 
which past gatekeepers have been able to get rid of bills they didn't want to see. He, people are going to be taking aim at him from both sides because of what he did. You know, this, it's 2013 all over again. You're seeing the recall issues. You're seeing the secession issues. Over half the counties now have come out against this red flag bill. You've got A.G. Phil Weiser saying you're going to, you know, if sheriffs aren't going to enforce it, they're going to have to resign. And you see Douglas County, where this really initiated with poor Sheriff Tony Spurlock, who came out with the very, very best intentions because of a tragedy that happened that this law might have been able to stop. He now is at odds with his commissioners. And ironically, Douglas County was just named the healthiest community in the country. Not if you, maybe for healthy discussion, but not for anything else right now. Uh, David, you're an expert on a variety of issues, but especially something like this with the Second Amendment. Uh, how bad is this bill, and the reason I, not opinion-wise, but I guess when it comes to legal challenges, because if it has gone through the Senate, uh, assuming that the House approves the amendments and Governor Polis signs it, uh, do you feel this is headed for a lot of contentious lawsuits? Yeah, well, there will certainly El Paso County has already announced it's going to sue. Now, there there are a lot of challenges, including whether the the county commissioners themselves have standing, or or not, and lots of complications beyond that. But certainly, uh, taking away the right of uh, eliminating the right of cross examination in a civil case is is one constitutional issue, uh, and then something that seems to run straight into U.S. Supreme against U.S. Supreme Court precedent which says you can't create a class of cases where you automatically allow no-knock raids like one state had done for drugs. Supreme Court said you can't, you can't do that as a class. And this bill seems to allow no-knocks as a class in all this uh, for any of these orders uh, rather than having the normal protections in Colorado law where you have to have the district attorney approve a no-knock search warrant and then go to a court to get approval for that. You know, that that's part of why... I never, as far as I can recall, the Denver and Aurora police unions have never, ever taken a stance pro or con on a gun bill. And I think what's coming out from their point of view and also from the sheriffs and the county commissioners is this is a, in my view, the bill is a good idea. Um, And for the reasons Sheriff Spurlock talks about, but how the details of it are really dangerous. You can have literally have a situation where somebody makes a phone call, never even appears in court, and that triggers an automatic requirement by law enforcement to go out, show up at somebody's house with no notice, and confiscate their guns. Even though we know from other states, a third of these initial confiscation orders are, are issued erroneously. Um, it, it, it creates a volatile situation of danger for law enforcement and the public, and that, that's part of the widespread resistance you're seeing among law enforcement. Ben, for the first uh, part of the counties coming out that they're going to be against this, you saw, I think, some of the standard rural versus urban argument that we see almost every state legislative session for the last few years. <clears throat> but with the Denver and Aurora police unions coming into play, uh, that changes a little bit. Now it's kind of a law enforcement thing, and with Tony Spurrier, you have some kind of law enforcement versus law enforcement. But how do the politics play out of this situation? 
Well, it's a little more fraught than typical, as everybody's noting. You, you don't usually see that kind of alignment with rural and urban. Um, I think, you know, what's interesting to think about, David said he couldn't recall uh, another time when, when uh, unions would come out on, on a gun issue. I recall in 1999 and 2000, they did come out on the uh, statewide initiative to close the gun show loophole uh, and supported that. And that was something that passed with 73% of the state's support. Um, I think with this issue, you know, I think a few things. I think, one, if it were put to a statewide initiative, I think it would pass. I think that the voters of Colorado spoke pretty clearly in the last round of elections and put uh, Democrats in across, across the line uh, in the legislature and in every statewide office. Uh, and this was not some issue that was behind the scenes or under the radar. This was a key issue in our last round of elections. And I think it's pretty clear to me that the legislature is acting on the will of voters and they're doing what they were t being told to do. I think, you know, secondarily, um, as someone who worked in gun control 20 years ago in the wake of the shootings at Columbine and, and was an activist nationally um, and was part of the group that passed the uh, uh, initiative to close the gun show loophole, you know, I think it's lamentable that we're still kind of parsing around and dealing at the edges of these issues. Um, and I think that it's regrettable that we don't have stronger leaders to stand up and, and really close the gap here. You know, we had an awful atrocity happen in New Zealand, and four days later, liberals, conservatives, everybody agreed they're banning semi-automatics and automatic weapons. Hmm. Done. Um, I don't know that that's a tenable solution in our society, but we can do a lot more than what we're doing. Uh, and it's, it's a huge vacuum in leadership, and it's, and it's a, really a clear reflection of how divided our country is and how willing to be partisan people are above what's truly rational and better for the whole and even better for democracy. So it's a shame. Brother Jeff, I mean, clearly uh, anything associated with guns in Colorado is going to be a contentious issue. But there's something here where I think you're, you're seeing people who want to see a law like this, but you're seeing a lot of folks, law enforcement as part of other groups, coming about the details. Uh, do... I guess, is there as a way to get the good idea passed without some of the details? Are we just going to accept the details? Will those details become lawsuits for the next few years? How do you read the situation as we see it right now? Well, there'll be lawsuits, and of course that's a part of the process. Um, I have a different concern in terms of the way law enforcement is responding uh, to the legislation. Um, as we talk about this, this issue, the legislators are wrestling with those details. That's what they do. And then you have the judicial system that will talk about how that is taking place or if um, how it should be applied. Now, law enforcement should be enforcing the law. When they say that, okay, well, we don't like this, and as a result, uh, we are going to um, not enforce or we're going to use some different tactics to either thwart or decide how we're going to do that, I think they put themselves in a position to be legislators, uh, judges, etc. And I see that being the problem. Something absolutely needs to be done, but I think it needs to be done in a proper order. And um, I have to agree with uh, Attorney General Phil Weiser. If you feel as though this is something that you do not want to enforce and that is what you are um, in position to do, then you absolutely should resign as opposed to saying I'm not or I'm going to tell you what it means or I'm going to be the legislator. 
The Colorado Senate came to an agreement on Wednesday to add another $106 million to the state's transportation projects, bringing its version of the transportation budget to $336 million. However, the budget now heads to the House where the additional funds may be struck from the bill. David, the addition of $106 million seemed like a big idea, but uh, more than a few outlets are saying, uh, don't, don't count your chickens yet, I guess in this case, don't, don't count the lanes of the highway yet. Uh, what do you think about the transportation funding status? I think the Colorado Sun had a really solid report on it, uh, which, which detailed the, the steps in the legislative process. When the bill come, the, general, the long bill, the general appropriations bill, comes over from the Senate to the House, the House will automatically vote to strip all the Senate amendments. They, they, that's just how things are, are done. And then the, the House will add back in its, its own amendments, then they'll differ, and then things go back to the Joint Budget Committee again to try to reconcile things. Uh, the House leadership was not exactly friendly to the idea of more spending for transportation, and with the Joint Budget Committee being four to two Democratic to Republican, um, Maybe the uh, Democratic senators will really fight for the transportation funding, but maybe not. I, I think sort of the party's overall view is it was well expressed by then-Representative Faith Winter last spring when she said, no, we don't want to spend more money on roads. We are, we're trying to get people out of their cars and into government-controlled transit. Now, she's not saying that now, but this is an example of one, you know, a gaffe, as Michael Kinsley said, is when a politician accidentally tells the truth. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, ben, what do we think about uh, the chances of this $106 million, or even a large portion of it sticking around, especially since it came from a Republican amendment in the state Senate? I think, you know, all signs are that it's pretty slim. And I think the other kind of reality here is that $106 million is, is really a drop in the bucket in terms of the full uh, budget and, and infrastructure needs that we have in Colorado, which total into the tens of billions. Um, you know, what I think is interesting is that they're quibbling over this 100% or $100 million, which is a small percentage of what's needed, and they've committed $0 to additional opioid treatment in this state legislative session, in spite of every single leader on the majority and minority and the governor mentioning opioid treatment and on opening day. So I think that's fascinating that they're kind of distracting us with this little bit of money while doing nothing over here. Brother Jeff, there are a few uh, universal topics or in Colorado that get both uh, progressives and conservatives to agree. But the fact that our roads are not what they should be in Colorado, people can agree on that. Yet we're not seeing a whole lot of movement there. Do you think that universal, <laughs> I guess, bipartisan opinion, at least from citizens, <laughs> might change some uh, minds in the House? Well, I know um, there may be agreement, but it always boils down to who's going to get the credit. And I can guarantee you the Republicans are not going to get a win uh, in the wake of this blue wave and say that we were able to find $160 million and it's going to come from somewhere in the administration. And if that's the strategy, they're going to go back into their base and say, we didn't win that either. So as they're looking for new leadership, they're going to have to look for new strategies. And I guarantee you the House is not going to uh, give them a $160 million increase. They're going to uh, go away and have to explain why they weren't able to secure more funding, especially by saying uh, we don't know where it's going to come from. Patty, the state Republican Party is electing a new chair this week. Do they uh, turn this issue into something they want to talk about? If the, if the one Republican amendment fails in the House, perhaps this is an issue they can use. 
Well, it's going to be a tr tricky one because it may not pass through. It's not just who gets the credit, but who gets the money. Mm -hmm. And you still see the urban and rural divide here. I think probably what we need to do is do kind of what Denver is doing. Make the head of the Colorado Department of Transportation an elected position. Mm -hmm. And an election year, miraculously, somehow the potholes are filled in. Somehow the roads <laughs> look a That's lot better. Exciting. So I think that might be a solution for Colorado. Otherwise... It's a good year for our budget. People are feeling flush. We've got the hospital provider fee settled for a while. There is money, but it is going fast. You've got the kinder, the full-day kindergarten. You've got this. Everyone is looking for their piece of the pie, except maybe the opioid fighters. So we're going to see some changes in this budget before it comes out. The Denver City Council voted unanimously this week to remove the sales tax on feminine products sold within the city. Meanwhile, a city council committee heard arguments on a bill that would make 21 the minimum age for any vaping products in Denver. Uh, ben, I'm a little puzzled on this one. A, I would have thought a, a tax on feminine products, this would have been a headline we would have read in 1965, not 2019. Uh, but the other one about uh, making vaping something uh, over 21, uh, I think that, that horse kind of left the barn, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you make from what we heard from the city council this week? I think more distraction, you know, good for them for removing the penalty for, you know, being a woman. That's, that's uh, really progressive. Uh, they ought to maybe address some bigger issues like homelessness, housing, talk about the quality of roads. Um, it's, it's uh, I think, another reflection of where we're at with leadership, and no surprise that we've got a record number of candidates challenging incumbents on city council. Brother Jeff, uh, uh, two very different issues coming up in the city council this week. Uh, you can take your <coughs> pick on... <laughs> the delay of one, the the surprise, the other. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a huge issue when you talk about tampons. It, 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 it makes me say that we need more women in policy positions. We need more women in the legislature. I know Representative Herod uh, went and took this issue of tampons uh, being accessible to women in the Department of Corrections. Um, it's something that many folks just don't think of, and I know that it takes women to bring certain issues forward. In terms of the vaping, I just think that we need to know if you're an adult or not. If you're 18 and you can go to war, if you're 18 and you can vote, then you're 18, you should be able to decide if you want to vape or not. Uh, Patty, I guess, I, I, as we've been talking about so far, I'm just shocked that this is what we're talking about in 2019. Uh, I, it's hard to shock Patty Calhoun, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm shocked that you thought it might have happened in 65, <laughs> because if you knew what the world was like in 1965, you know, it was two Fair years point. away from when Colorado was the first state to legalize abortion. The interesting thing is that we've had a majority female city council for a long time. So this should have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Fortunately, it did happen. It is a really easy inequity to fix, and it's nice that they finally have gotten around to it. Um, as for the cigarettes and the vaping, I think it's kind of like the cat declawing before, which is you can go to war, you can vote. Let's just leave it where it is unless the feds want to come in. David, wrap it up for us. The uh, the issues of the city council this week substantive. Well, the their tax cut, which always makes me happy to when a sentence starts with that, um, <laughs> amounts to about three dollars per woman per year. And uh, as has been pointed out, I think for some people who were pretty poor, uh, that that actually makes some difference for them. And for the others for whom the $3 doesn't make that much of a difference, I'd still say they'll probably spend the money more wisely than the Denver City Council would. So, so good for them. Uh, on, on the vaping front, according to the Denver Post, it would be 
illegal for a 20-year-old to buy a vaping product, but fine to buy a carton of Marlboro's, which really seems uh, bass-ackwards in terms of public health. And I hope these people who say that if you're 19 years old, you can't make the decision about putting something in your body. Well, if if they think the 19-year-olds are that immature, then I hope none of these people are going to be out there pushing for 16-year-olds to be able to vote because voting is the power to coerce other people, as we've been talking about uh, today. Uh, You you shouldn't have coercive power over others if you don't even have enough maturity uh, to decide what to put in your own body. That's an excellent point. A bill that would allow the public access to files of complete police investigations passed the state Senate on a 19-16 to vote this week. The bill would change the current law that allows these files to only be available if it is concerning the public interest. Uh, Brother Jeff, this seems like more sunshine and a a good idea, but uh, again, something that had to wait to now to get passed. Do you think it's going to become law? What do you think of the idea? I think this is another um, example of uh, something that can become law in this legislative session. Uh, what happens with those internal investigations after they're completed? What happens with the information? Do they just go off into the pasture somewhere? Uh, I think that the public should get a chance to look into that information after all of the redactions and all of the other things that are um, sensitive information. It's public information once you say that uh, someone has been cleared or not. I think that we should be having access to the details as well. Patty, you're one of our two esteemed editors at the table. Is this a, a, a nice thing to see for journalism in Colorado? Yes. I mean, any kind of transparency is important. It's not just for journalists. It's for the public. And when you're talking about law enforcement and internal investigations, when it's in the public interest, what involving law enforcement is not in the public interest? So, good, let's hope this goes through, and let's hope we see more records opening up. David, it was a fairly close vote. Is this looking to be even a tighter vote in the House? <clears throat> No, probably not, because uh, the county sheriffs of Colorado, for example, opposed it, and they, they probably have more overall influence in the Senate than the uh, House. That This was a bill the Independence Institute has supported the, the principle of in, in the past and and currently, and I think the this version is an improvement from ideas that bills that didn't pass in previous legislatures because it had, does have stronger pre- uh, procedures for redaction of personal information, including about law enforcement officers in some cases, and also about crime victims and witnesses and, and that. And hopefully it will, Im- Im- in the long run, improve public confidence uh, in law enforcement. Uh, ben, a, a good idea that's come due? I think so. I mean, I think everybody can agree that more transparency of authority is, is a basic tenet that uh, we should all have access to, and uh, there should be total you know, unanimity around that. Here, here. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. While the Democrats in the legislature are like kids in the organic candy store right now, we are seeing the poor Colorado Republican Party, who has not had a very good decade, will be meeting this weekend to come up with a new leader. They have three choices, but from the days of Dan Mays on, the Colorado Republican Party has not had a lot of luck, and many of those wounds are self-inflicted. Here we are. David. Um, Senate Bill 181, the oil and gas industry elimination bill, which is now in the House of Representatives, people argue about whether it's just tighter regulation, which might be good, it certainly is good for abandoned wells and things like that, or if it's to, to wipe out the industry entirely. One way you can tell is the new bill eliminates the requirement in a current law that 
things that are imposed on oil and gas operations it must be technologically and economically feasible. That will be gone. So now you can impose something that's impossible for a company to comply with and no problem. So if you want to eliminate them, which is the purpose here, uh, that's an easy method to do it. Ben? Uh, the no on I-300 people who are outspending the yes people almost six or seven to one uh, looking to keep uh, homeless people out of the core of the city but interspersed around core neighborhoods and uh, really refusing to, to come up with a sustainable solution to homelessness. Wow. Brother Jeff? I'm going to shine some uh, light on hate and go to New Zealand and uh, talk about the attack on the worshipers. Uh, just disgusting and then also a stone's throw away from here uh, someone tagged a home with the n-word and a hangman's noose etc so um, the hate that still percolates and tries to push its its face forward uh, is the disgrace of the week time to say something nice patty well i mentioned last week we just published our annual orgy of niceness the best of denver just nice 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 so i'm not say anything about that but the colorado rockies hope springs eternal off to a good start Opening day is next Friday. You have to do. You have to trademark orgy of happiness because that would just whether it's a, a an addition or a show. Oh, it's not happy. It's nice. Orgy of niceness. Orgy of niceness. Sorry about that, David. I'm looking to that event as a follow up to your music festival uh, <laughs> later this year. Um, Jesse Smollett, who's done so much to raise awareness about the problem of privilege in modern society. Ben, the Westward Bacchanal. Uh, I'm going to say my mom, who's a loyal viewer and watches every week and gives me updates. And hi, mom. <laughs> I will. I will echo that. Uh, uh, your mom's uh, one of our favorite people. It's nice to see you, uh, brother Jeff. I would just like to celebrate the folks that came out against hate, uh, filled the uh, mosque and on Parker Road. Jewish, Christian, Sikh, uh, all kinds of faith and the folks that came from across the state to the home on Fillmore to say that uh, this is ugly, but it doesn't represent us. So I would like to shine the great light on the good people who come forward. Here, here. I want to say something nice about a dear friend of the show. Our friend Henry Kroll lost his beloved wife, Jean, this week after a long battle with Alzheimer's disease. Jean and Henry were the great American love story. To see these two together, uh, you, you really saw what uh, what love incarnate could really be. I had the great honor of knowing Jean before her journey with Alzheimer's, and her smile and cheer could simply light up a room. Henry, thank you for sharing Jean with all of us, and know that we are thinking of you and Jean very fondly this week. That is all time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.